Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on the Two for One Drafts podcast. Really excited to get into this one. Today, we're going to be previewing some of the top rookie and prospect matchups to watch. Very fun week in hand, especially with bowl season. Very much looking mm. forward to Friday. Well, Justin Herbert versus that Utah defense. And in addition to that, we also interviewed Dane Brugler of The Athletic. I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, it was a good interview. Mm-hmm. I really like Dane. Definitely a friend of the pod. You've called him a friend of the pod several times. Yeah, he had yet to be on the pod, but now he's a real friend. Dude, the best, best friend. friend of the pod. <laughs> best friend of the pod. But let's go ahead and and get right into it. What's on tap? Starting with that Friday game, Utah against Oregon, the Pac-12 championship. Bradley and A, edge defender of Utah, going against Penne Sewell. I think that is going to be a huge matchup in addition to Justin Herbert. What have you seen from Anae, and who do you think wins this one? This one is great, because Anae went up against Trey Adams with Washington, went up against Austin Jackson, USC, the two top tackles, probably, that'll go off the board uh, from the Pac-12 this year, and you got them both. He got the better of both of those offensive tackles, and now he's going up against the best offensive tackle in the country he has the highest grade in the country he's a true sophomore not draft eligible but we've called him or i've called him the chase young of offensive tackle prospects Ooh. next year i mean he's going to be he might be uh, you know a number one overall pick candidate very well could be next year he's a freak of nature moves ridiculously for guys listed at, i think 340 which is just absurd uh yeah he's he's a dude uh, only allowed a handful of pressures all season long so if and beats him too i mean we could be talking he could be pushing his way up into our top five edge defenders. He's not is, in there right now, but he could be pushing his way up there if he beats a guy like Penny Sewell. This is such a huge opportunity for Bradley and A. This is arguably the best offensive tackle he's gone against yeah. all year. I mean, this is a better this is a better opportunity than the Senior Bowl, in my opinion. Like he's not going to face anyone close to as good as Sewell at the Senior Bowl, so that'll be uh, a good test for him. Penny Sewell, I, I, offensive lineman, don't get a ton of recognition in the end of season awards, but he was named PFF's Pac-12 Player of the Year, and for good reason. A ninety-six point six overall grade for Penny Sewell. He also has a 92.7 pass blocking grade and a 96.1 run blocking grade. That's a triple 90. Mm. We talk about triple I mean, 80. I mean, it's, it's far and away the best season we've ever graded from a sophomore offensive lineman. That it's is not incredible. even close. Yeah. And offensive lineman, usually you, you get to your junior year and your senior year and you start to explode. Yes. To get this kind of production, this kind of grading profile so early in his career, so early in his development, I mean, we're yeah. talking about a dude that, like you said, the Chase Young of exactly. offensive Exactly. Like tackles. fake ID, he would be the number one tackle off the board if he was draft eligible this year. That's that how insane that uh, dude's fake idea says he's 35 right now. <laughs> you know, that's incredible. And no one's um, questioning him. All right, let's move forward here. Francis Bernard. He, I mean, he's going to have an opportunity to, mm-hmm. to kind of improve his draft stock in this game. Yeah, we talked about him. And actually, we haven't talked about him. He's a senior bowl invite guy, but he made our top five linebackers list that we dropped a couple weeks ago. Uh, he started his career off uh, at BYU, had a great grade that season, something like an 86.8 coverage grade off the top of my head. I can't precisely remember but then afterwards he realized he's like uh, I'm at BYU I probably 87.8 oh, I was close uh, he's like I probably want to have sex so he transfers to Utah smart realizes that uh, and has played very well for them the past couple of years after transferring like I said got the senior bowl invite 84.6 grade last year 75.0 this year but he's still been very good it's, it's still a well above average coverage grade for him so uh, I like the way he moves at six foot two forty. dude can uh, play linebacker his first year at Utah 84.6 overall grade Do you attribute that to the sex probably or there's the lack of sex it was he was like he was putting all his energy into lifting you know into coverage basically that point and then 
It's like uh, Costanza when he finally has sex, he turns into an idiot. No, but not, that's not at all. Uh, it was just more situational, more mm-hmm. circumstance. Some made some splash plays that year. Three picks, uh, two picks this year too. Uh, but he's been, like I said, he's top five linebacker moving up our board. Can help himself in this game going up against those dumbass swing screens that mm-hmm. Oregon runs. Eighty. 80, 80 screen completions for Justin Herbert, fourth most of any quarterback. 31% of his completions this year have been on screens, mm-hmm. and they just run it to death. So that'll be Francis Bernard. He'll have to track those down. Looking at Francis Bernard, too, looks like he's got a little bit of um, versatility in his game. 105, 105 pass rush snaps this year, 18 total pressures, including 14 hurries and four hits. Definitely like those off-ball linebackers that have an ability to impact the passing game, both as pass rushers and in coverage. I think that's where the NFL is trending. You need to be athletic enough yes. to beat blocks off the blitz and also athletic enough to stick with running backs and tight ends in coverage. Francis Bernard, a player to watch this Friday, but the biggest player to watch, Justin Herbert, a guy that has an opportunity to either stick himself at firmly mm-hmm. in the top five or potentially fall out of that top ten with a bad performance against Utah. This is the best defense he's faced all year. Yeah. And I think this is an opportunity either he dices him up in, an, in a huge upset win over Utah or falls flat. And I think the concerns with Justin Herbert are only magnified with a bad performance against Utah. Yeah, he's going up against a defense that has five confirmed senior bowl invites on it. That's the most of any defense by far in the country. Terrell Burgess safety. You have Julian Blackman, their other safety. Bradley Ine, who we touched on. France Bernard, who we touched on. Lecky Foto, the deep, big, big ass the DT. The, the, yeah, monster the monster the DT, who you know, owned USC earlier this year. Uh, and then their best defensive player, the highest ranked defensive player on our board, Jalen Johnson. He's not a senior. So, so that is a loaded defense. Legitimately, there's a reason why they are, you know, the fifth ranked team in the playoffs because they are very good. That hiccup against USC this year, a very much a blip on the radar for them in terms of what they've done all season long. So this will be his biggest test. This will be the biggest test of Justin Herbert's career past fail. I mean, if he lights up this defense, we can start talking about him as a top five quarterback. If he does what we expect, which is, you know, fall flat on his face in a lot of big games, which he's done before. I mean, then we're just going to have the same opinion on him. He's a project. He has a big ass arm can make a lot of throws. A lot of people can't, but he's just a project uh, in terms of what's going on between the helmet. Uh, yeah, it's pretty telling from Vegas having Utah as a seven-point favorite in yeah. this game against Justin Herbert, who is expected to be maybe a top 10 pick in the 2020 NFL draft. I think that is very telling. Also, I want to go back to that Utah game that lost USC. Michael Pittman took that oh, game over. Absolutely. You had to bring him up. Absolutely took that well, game over. Well, he did, over. though. And, and you highlighted it going into that week. You were like, Michael Pittman, one to watch, hasn't, you know, one drop or whatever and he had a drop in that game he did which have funny. a drop in that but game. then he also like lit them up and was a big reason they won i think you're going to need a receiver to step up in this game because like you said that secondary is very hard to beat mm-hmm. <clears throat> moving forward uh, lecky foto i'm excited to watch that matchup because the oregon <laughs> yes the oregon offense i mean there's line, a ton of drafting talent that will get drafted on both sides of the ball that we haven't even mentioned yet mm-hmm. so but yeah the oregon offensive line has uh, at least two confirmed guys going to the senior bowl as well so in uh, Shane Lemieux and I think Calvin Throckmorton the right guard and right tackle mm-hmm. let's go move forward here on the what's and ta- what's on tap segment Baylor versus Oklahoma in the big 12 championship Denzel Mims versus Parnell Motley this mm-hmm. is going to be a very good matchup Motley plays a ton of man coverage Mims can struggle a little bit to create separation at times, but very good in contested catch situations. I do like his improved ball skills this year slightly. Talk to me about that matchup. Yeah, so our lead college analyst, uh, Cam Moore, he DM'd Parnell Motley. They DM on the reg. They, he's taking you. He's stealing your thunder wow. here. He's sliding into DMs. I wasn't involved. In they DM, and he. I told him to ask Motley. I was like, "Are you going to follow Mims?" Uh, I wanted to know his response. Hell yeah, I'm following him all day. Space two exclamation points. Whoa. So Parnell Motley will be before trapping. two exclamation points too. I think that. <laughs> 
is emphasis. That yeah. is legit. Okay. He wants you to he know. He finished the DM. And he's like, you know what? I'm throwing a couple bangers that's on the back end here. The two exclamation points is that's a that's a number one corner in my mind. <laughs> if you're just like a run of the mill average sort of cornerback prospect, mm-hmm. you might give an, one exclamation point. There would definitely wouldn't be a space in between them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Motley, this is a great matchup for both of them because one, Mims, I've questioned his ability to legitimately get off press. I don't love his shake and his routes at the line of scrimmage. He's very though he's very sudden, but he runs very upright and upright against press coverage sometimes will get you locked up at the line of scrimmage. Parnell Motley, we've talked about before, fantastic at the line, but lacks long speed. Denzel Mims, if he gets a step on him, will separate from him. Mm-hmm. So this will be an interesting matchup for both. Very much tape that uh, you're going to go back to come next spring, you know, next April and be like, uh, hey, if one guy had a resounding win, it's going to be great for his stock, bad for the others. With Motley, too, you, you have name scouting. I like, I like um, also, I'm losing the word now. I don't even know because you didn't even like preface it. <laughs> Punctu- punctuation scouting. Oh, punctuation scouting. If you're going to punctuation scout, two exclamation points on the back end I'm of a DM, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Let's go here. Move forward to Charlie Brewer. Baylor, yes. the Baylor quarterback that's gotten some He's, love by PFF. He's graded well in, at times, but it's not someone we've necessarily talked about as a prospect on the podcast. Where is your, Where are you with Charlie Brewer? He's He's like Cody Kessler level prospect where it's like he's accurate so not good. with the football <laughs> not great but he's accurate with the football underneath intermediate not a good arm mm-hmm. uh, and i think he makes good decisions with football only six picks this year he had nine last year but i think he had fewer turnover worthy plays than picks last year and had a 90.4 passing grade last year dipped down to 77.3 this year it's still fine uh, I, I think he needs another year uh, and he has another year of eligibility left but I, I think he offers something as a in that backup realm of the gardner Minshew to cody kessler scale of weak arm quarterbacks Going into kind of the depths of the bowl season, you got Louisiana versus App State, but there's some prospects to watch. Yeah, we're going to touch on all these. Definitely going to have to turn it on here. Uh, Robert Hunt, the offensive tackle, who hasn't played in the game since week eight, but prior prior to to that, 87.1 overall grade and an 86.0 run blocking grade. This guy has a good grading profile, six foot five, 336 pounds. If you're going to watch a guy on the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Mm -hmm. Robert Hunt is a guy to watch. Yeah, so he's not. 100% 100% playing. He's questionable to play this upcoming week. Was questionable to play last week and didn't end up playing. So uh, we'll see if he is a go, but it's over, bowl season. Yeah. Not bowl Conference season. It's championship season. season. <laughs> It's not bowl season yet, uh, but 80.7 pass blocking grade. Like I said, 86.0 run blocking grade. Only two pressures allowed all season long. Uh, he barely missed out on our latest top 100. He is a senior bowl invite himself. Uh, this very lowly recruited guy. I think he played uh, seven man football in Texas or something. His high wow. school didn't even have full 11 on 11, uh, if I recall correctly. But moves really well for 336 pounds. Probably kicks inside to guard at the next level, though, still. But uh, I'm a fan of his work. Uh, so he'll be. Uh, going up against, you'll actually be going up against, if he does play, probably the other biggest prospect in that game, Akeem Davis-Gaither, who's a linebacker. He's only like 215, uh, 220-ish range. So he's going to be an off-ball linebacker at the NFL level, but extremely explosive at that size. And they play him off the edge. They rush him as the uh, as an edge rusher there for App State. He's a tough uh, sort of projection because he rushes. It's such a role that's not going to be what he plays at the NFL level. You basically just have to bank on his athletic skill. Uh, Trump being, you know, so great that he can play coverage at the NFL level. And I do think he can. Uh, another guy who barely missed out on our top 100 uh, this past, uh, the latest version. But I know Dane Brugler, he made Dane Brugler's top 100, Akeem Davis Gaither. So some people are big fans of him, and he's also a senior bowl invite. So this will be a nice little matchup. They, and they, like I said, they will be going up against each other if both 
they're playing. Sounds like a versatile chess piece so far this year. He has 22 pressures on 149 pass rush snaps and also an 85.4 pass rush grade. Mm-hmm. That's impressive for a guy that's undersized. Yeah. Absolutely. Even yeah, he, he, he like legitimately wins against offensive linemen. It's not just blitz pressure that he's getting like some guys, some off ball linebackers. He is actually mm-hmm. beating them one on one, which being blocks translates well. You know, if you're a linebacker, I remember, go back to a guy like Joe Schobert who beat blocks off the edge. Now he beats blocks uh, and at second level against run plays. It, it helps to be able to just win those one-on-ones consistently will also some some uh, also tends to translate to the NFL. Let's go to University of Cincinnati versus Memphis in the AAC championship game. Memphis heavily favored, but on the Cincinnati side, tight end Josiah Degara. This is a guy that when I was covering UC, I had some mm-hmm. opportunities to cover UC, a, very, a big leader in the locker room. Everyone loves this guy, and he's also got great production. Him and Desmond Ritter, the quarterback, have a good connection there. He's produced when Desmond Ritter's on. Ritter obviously battling injury for the University of Cincinnati, but mm-hmm. I think Degara, though, has an opportunity to prove himself in this class, which is a very weak tight end class. Yeah, I do think it is a weak tight end class. He will be at the Senior Bowl, Degara. Uh, he has you know, 470 yards in the year, seven touchdowns. And But the play he's most known for came back in week one, UCLA. Tracks down from, does the Benjamin yes. Watson. You know, a pick that was going for a pick six. He's all the way on the other side of the field. Tracked uh, the cornerback all the way down. Tackle him before uh, he got to the end zone. So, like you mentioned, the leader type player, a lot of heart. He's going to be a coach's dream at the next level. I, I don't see him necessarily as a special sort of prospect. 6'3", 242. He's kind of in that tweener range to begin with. So uh, a nice a nice day three tight end that mm-hmm. you'll love as your number two. I will say this, though. A lot of his production does come after the catch, and I think he does does move well after the catch. I think mm-hmm. he, and with the tight end position, if you're looking for a guy that's on that tweener side, you need to be able to make plays after the yes. catch and force missed tackles. T.J. Carter on the opposite side of the ball. Love T.J. Carter. This is a guy that I think even last year we started to fall in love with him in, in mm-hmm. press coverage, playing man-to-man, and then also this year a 75.1 coverage grade for T.J. Carter. This guy has an opportunity to make himself known in this class with a big game. I don't even think that's that does him justice because he has given up over half as many yards as he did last year. He just hasn't had the ball production. He hasn't he only only five pass breakups, no interceptions this year. Basically, he's been shied away from after getting 93 targets last year, only 41. Basically, he locked down his side of the field. No one wanted to test him. Incredible long speed. He's probably going to run sub 4-4. Uh, I think this guy's the real deal. We have him 91st on our latest draft board. Only a junior. Not necessarily going to come out, but I think he could and still be a day two sort of pick. Uh, this dude's the high, definitely the highest rated prospect we have in this game, uh, the UC Memphis game. Edge defender for uh, Memphis, another name to look at, too. Uh, you have Bryce Hoff, a 90.0 PFF pass rush grade so far, coming off a huge game against Cincinnati in the week yeah. prior. Now he's going to go against Cincinnati again. You could see another big day from him. 54 total pressures on the year, six foot three, 245 pounds. Yeah, this dude, it's crazy that sometimes when you see guys at the same school, they remind you of each other, and sometimes it's very fake, and guys try to force comps, but he legitimately watching him reminds me exactly of Gennard Avery, where they're kind of capped out at 250. Like, they've got their body into perfect shape to get to 250, but then they're incredibly explosive because of that, because there's no body fat on them. Uh, And he has had a monster year after having 41 pressures a year ago. Fairly good year as a sophomore, 54 this year, 90.0 pass rushing grade, has some juice off the line of scrimmage, some nice moves. To me, he's a nice... It's a nice guy to go in that Gennard Avery range, which Avery was a fifth rounder. You get this guy in the fourth or fifth round. He has some athletic traits to work with. He's not going to go higher because he doesn't have the length and doesn't have the size. Like 
you don't, when you have, he's probably going to have sub 33 inch arms. When you just don't have that length, a live defense coordinator is just going to worry about you losing the edge in the run game, not being able to, you know, have any sort of response to offensive tackles at the NFL level that are all super long. But I do think he offers something as a day three pick at this point. Last thing on this AAC championship game, a running back talking about for Memphis after Daryl Henderson, after Tony Pollard, you have here now, you have Kenneth Gainwell, a guy that's uh, forced 52 missed tackles on only 202 attempts. Mm-hmm. That is very good production from him. He's also averaging 3.62 yards after contact per attempt and 88.7 overall grade for him. There are so many players to watch in this game. People want to focus on the Power 5 championship games. Yeah. Get down there in the gritty group of five because Memphis has got some players. I don't know where Memphis finds these guys, but Daryl Henderson last year, Tony Pollard this year, Gainwell is on that level as a running back, only a true sophomore, so we get to see him for another year, but dude, can, dude has receiving chops as well. 41 catches this year for 492 yards, only one drop, uh, 16 broken tackles, one of the best, if not the best receiving back in the nation at this point. We're going to be talking about this guy a lot uh, come 20. 21 draft mm-hmm. uh, definitely a fake id candidate Ooh, let's go to georgia versus lsu probably a game that everyone's going to want to turn on joe burrow the There's probable in this one the probable number one overall pick has an opportunity to take on a georgia defense that is i'll be watching you see memphis <laughs> you see memphis <laughs> um yeah with georgia lsu before we talk quarterback here let's go to clavon chase on the lsu edge defender going against andrew thomas that is an this absolute. is the one where yeah chase on can make some money here mm-hmm. like legitimately if because he ha- I think he has the ability to beat a tackle like Andrew Thomas. He has the athletic traits. We saw him do it against Samuel Cosme early in the year. Five pressures in that game. One of his highest graded games of the year. And Cosme was we're a fan of his as a prospect. Obviously not on Andrew Thomas's level, but we're still a fan of his. If you can if you can have a repeat performance like that against Andrew Thomas, I'd be willing to forgive his kind of lackluster mm-hmm. game in to game out performance, because if you can do it against a guy like that, you can do it against NFL level tackles as well. So I do think that this is a very good chance for him to make money. If not, I'd probably say come back to school for him at this point. Mm-hmm. He's a junior. Uh, he, like I said, has not had a lot of production, 22 pressures this year on 264 pass rushes, but all the athleticism in the world could push himself into a top 10 pick with that as that top 10 pick sort of athleticism that gets drafted highly, but need to see it. I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. I think he gets stonewalled and grabs <laughs> class. I think Andrew Thomas is in a much better place to dominate this matchup. I think right now you look at you look at Clavon Chason's profile as a pass rusher, just a 79.1 PFF pass rush grade, only one game over over 70 or two games over 77.0. Not one over 80. Yeah, has he not won over 80. No He's dominant, rarely yeah. dominated even off to tackles against Utah State. Georgia Southern, he had a 58.3 pass rush grade. I mean, that I mean only two pass rushes. <laughs> okay. so, so never mind. <laughs> never mind on that one. But, but I will say, I think Andrew Thomas is a better player here. I think I could see him with a zero pressure performance. But I will say, Georgia played with a ton of leads this year. They will realistically be playing from behind. Mm-hmm. They'll have to pass. And we'll yep. talk about that with Jake Fromm in a second, about how he's probably going to have to play from behind one last time we saw it against South Carolina. Didn't end up too well. But that means true passes <laughs> for Andrew Thomas. That means actual yeah. good pass rushing situations for Chase on and not just what you usually get against Georgia, which is, oh, you know, they have eight guys along the line of scrimmage, right? You know, in tight and you have to read run first and then you get to attack Andrew Thomas. No, you're going to probably get 15 or so in the second half of this game where it's legit one on 
one-on-one drop back passing. You know it's going to be a pass. So that should be that'll be fun to watch. Let's go to another matchup here. Eric Stokes, the cornerback for Georgia, and going against Jamar Chase, a fake ID candidate every week. It seems mm-hmm. like potential Belichick award winner if it comes down to it. But Eric Stokes, this is a guy that I wrote an article before the season because looking at his production on just 25 targets in 2018, had mm-hmm. an 84.3 coverage grade, six passes defensed on 25 targets, and only allowed 10 receptions for 113 yards. I was very impressed with what he did in man coverage. Yeah, I think he handled things well. Six foot one, around what 180 pounds, 185 pounds this year, and 82.4 coverage grade has been tested a lot more, mm-hmm. but still hasn't been given up a ton of yards. I think Eric Stokes is a guy that maybe not at the top end of the cornerback class, but I think he could rise up boards with a good game against LSU. I, I think he could, but very much so. We talked about it with DeAndre Baker. I think even more so with Stokes. He has to have contact with the wide yeah. receiver to stick with them. That's and the unfortunate thing about all these Georgia cornerbacks. They, they just they coach have him to. to do yes, that. And, and he just had to. Did not have the foot speed. I thought Baker like, showed it at times and was physical at the catch point. I, I, don't, I haven't seen quite the same from Stokes. The, the numbers are great. Like you mentioned, it's only 262 yards allowed all season long. Like they, When he's at the line of scrimmage, he's very good in press coverage. So that will be nice to see. But I think going up against the, a guy who's produced better than... If you don't have than, foot speed against Jamar Chase, you're going to exactly, go Exactly. A guy who's produced quickly. as well as any outside receiver in the country this year. I, I have a hunch Stokes might get exposed in this one. There's, there's a good chance. I mean, I like Eric Stokes a lot, but like you said, it, the foot speed is a problem. Mm-hmm. He, he, if he doesn't get contact, even taking advantage of the, the no contact or the contact allowed at like 5, 10 yards down the field, if he doesn't get that, he usually struggles. And Jamar Chase, yeah. if there's a guy that can burn you in the, in the NFL right now mm-hmm. or, or in college football, Henry Ruggs, Jamar Chase, these guys with legit uh, NFL speed. Let's go to Jake Fromm. Got to take talk about Jake Fromm. Mm-hmm. He talk about a guy Huge. who has an opportunity to earn some money. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jake Fromm has a good game against Grant Delpit, Christian Fulton, Derek Stingley. There's an opportunity to kind of rise and then he, and then he gets into the playoff, mm-hmm. and then you have uh, you know you face a couple more real defenses or at least one more real defense uh, there. So I do think he has a very good chance, like you said, to make himself some money here. Uh, I'm going to say I don't think I don't I don't see it happening again. Another one I don't necessarily see happening because you're going up against such a good secondary because they just don't necessarily have great receiving talent at Georgia this year uh, having reloaded or not necessarily reload, reload with a lot of young guys. So I do think it could be an issue, but I, I do want to see him if it's not going to make the comeback, at least protect the ball. Don't be throwing it away. You know, only four turnover really plays in the year still for from don't. Don't turn the ball over. Stay that guy. Be that guy against the good, best defense. Uh, if it's not going to happen, don't you know? Qu- don't have that quicksand like we've seen from uh, Jordan Love in the past. I think this is an opportunity too, as we kind of preview these conference championships and talk about the playoffs. That you can't allow recency bias yes. to affect you know to significantly affect a guy's draft stock mm-hmm. because you look at other guys, Deron Payne, Kevin Dodd, these guys that blow up this yes. time of year. It's easy to just go all in on players like that, and I think you can't afford to. But there are matchups like Penny Sewell versus Bradley and A. That you want to put value in exactly but again, you don't let the entire of the recency kind of take over exactly don't just just because he's doing it on the biggest stage does not mean he's doing it against the biggest competition sometimes exactly. uh, like kevin dodd uh rolled some bad offensive tackles had like 10 pressures in the national championship game that uh, year and like that you can't let that all of a sudden just because you everyone saw and oh it was against i think it was alabama that year because it was against that does not necessarily mean you had yourself you know an unreal performance you're deserving to fly up draft boards just because it happens this time of year doesn't make it any more important than what happened in week one so yeah those two guys i think are sort of warning 
uh, signs. Dodd, obviously, uh, you know, with the Titans, didn't even make it to his rookie contract. Dron Payne's been fine, but not worth the top 15 pick where he went. So I do think that don't overreact just because it's happening on the biggest stage. If it's happening against the best players and other best players in the country, yes, we can talk about that. But just because it's on the big stage does not mean it's more valuable than other performances. There was some personal stuff with Kevin Dodd, too, that kind of had him leave the game. Yeah, but, that uh, was a weird situation. Uh, yeah, it was a very weird situation. Let's go to Hawaii versus Boise State. Cole McDonald has an opportunity to kind of <laughs> make a play against Boise State. He's an interesting quarterback. I still like Cole McDonald. I, still believe. People, I feel like people fell off of him a bit. I mean, he, he was a very volatile quarterback to start mm-hmm. the year. You know, great big-time throws, and then he'd come back with like a weird turnover of the play over the middle yeah. like to someone's chest. Where are you at with him? Yeah, we definitely talked about him earlier in this year with the hair and all that. Oh, that's but, right. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> but he's, he's odd because he has a huge arm, but then great underneath accuracy and iffy intermediate to deep accuracy and very, very iffy decision-making as well so uh, almost was benched at times this year for Hawaii but they they pass it a ton they're going to throw the ball around the yard so he'll be fun to watch and it'll be fun to watch Curtis Weaver Mm -hmm. that edge defender ended up in his lap probably a handful of times because the way like I said Hawaii you know they're passing they go five wide you know almost more that more often than not in that offense so Curtis Weaver just pin his ears back get after Cole McDonald that one will be RIP Hawaii's left tackle. I mean, Curtis Weaver, talk about a guy who's been impressive this year, a 93.1 PFF pass rush grade, 59 total pressures after getting 55 a year ago. I mean, if Chase Young didn't exist, Curtis Weaver, would become his name would be coming up even more mm-hmm. and more because he, I think he has an opportunity with a 93.1 PFF pass rush grade. He has an opportunity to set some records himself if Chase Young wasn't already setting those. Yeah. Going forward, let's go check out Virginia. Or no, Ezra Cleveland. Yeah, one more prospect. One more prospect. Ezra Cleveland, left tackle for Boise State, having himself another solid season uh, for the Broncos there, has had multiple years now of good pass blocking grades. A little soft, but third straight season of an 80-plus pass blocking grade uh, for Boise State. Uh, I love his feet. Uh, I think he has the athleticism to hold up a tackle and needs to get stronger. Like, it needs to get stronger still. Uh, I, I do think, though, he's a probably third or fourth rounder at this point mm-hmm. so a, a real prospect just another guy to watch virginia versus clemson we got linebacker charles snowden going against carmen there at clemson snowden's interesting because he plays you know plays a good amount in coverage but he's six foot seven 235 pounds yeah, we, what kind of frame is that <laughs> this guy is a monster i, I mean, put his comp in the draft guide was Kawhi Leonard. It's Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> oh Kawhi Leonard. i mean he just doesn't have necessarily He's just such an odd prospect, like you mentioned. He he doesn't rush the passer particularly well. Uh, doesn't drop into coverage particularly well. But <laughs> he does do it. Though. He's a freak of nature athletically, like six seven two thirty five, and he moves very very well on the football field. So uh, he will get drafted at some point. I don't know. I think he has another year of eligibility left. But it'll be interesting to see him go up against Jackson Carmen, who's just a monster of a sophomore left tackle. Uh, another fake ID candidate, not on Penny Sewell's level, but he'll be in the first round mix come next year. Uh, just impervious to the bull rush, but I want to see his feet going up against Snowden, who's, you know, when he does win, it's basically just because he's a little quicker than OTs. Looking at Snowden's pictures right now, I'm blown away. The dude looks like a basketball player. On yes, in high he school, does. it looks like he played linebacker and, and, and wide receiver, mm-hmm. which is not not surprising at six foot seven, two hundred thirty five pounds. Virginia even has a picture of him snapping the ball. This guy's versatile and then some. Very wow. impressive there. I think it's interesting. But with this guy though, with these guys that have these frames that do a ton of things but not necessarily well, a master of nothing in the NFL is Jack of all trades. It. It's just not. I mean, not yeah, I, do it I, I don't believe in him as like a legit prospect. He's like you take him in the sixth round. Good coaches. 
like Bill Belichick up. and company, if you wanted to use yeah. him in that versatile role, Just maybe put him on a tight end, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Man yeah. Coverage. I don't know. It's it's he's an interesting prospect. I'm glad you highlighted him. Let's go Ohio State versus Wisconsin. Chase Young versus Cole Van Lannen. This is going to be an absolute treat. Van Lannen has struggled against good competition this year. Yeah. You saw that with AJ Epinesa. I see Chase Young putting this guy on the turf more often than not. Yeah, I was going to say with the Virginia Clemson game, like there's a ton of prospects on Clemson, but no good matchups with the Ohio State Wisconsin game. It's like the same. There's a, there's a lot of prospects in this game. But there's not really any good matchups. Like yeah. Chase Young, Van Lannen. Last time it happened, Van Lannen had what like a sub ten pass blocking grade. Mm-hmm. Was it a zero? Did he get a zero last time? It was just all, like he he got owned in that game. Uh, he just does not have neither the strength nor the foot speed to keep up with Chase Young. I'm not sure there's a college offensive tackle that does. It was 5.6 pass blocking grade. That's it's pretty close. Man, but yeah. I think it's going to be that ugly again. I mean, it's Chase Young. So there's really nothing more he has to prove. I think the person with the most to prove possibly in this are the running backs. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins going up against each other. Both two fairly good run defenses. I do think that if you have a good game against you know your respective defense, you'll move up draft boards accordingly. And Jonathan Taylor is a guy, and we're going to get to the Dane Brugler interview soon. Jonathan Taylor's guy, Dane, his, fell in love with. Yeah. He did really like Jonathan Taylor. He was the only running back he had in the first round. Yeah, very interesting prospect. I think that I, I like that. I like that idea that going into this game, looking at the running backs and how they handle these run defenses. We're going to jump to that Dane Brugler interview right now, but before we do so, we have a courtesy read from our mm. friends at Proper Cloth. Finding a dress shirt that fits is hard. Collars are too tight. Sleeves are too long. Something is always not right. Well, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier thanks to Proper Cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt in seconds just by answering 10 easy questions. Not only does Proper Cloth make it easy to create your custom size, they make it really simple to completely customize your shirt to get the style you want. Want a bigger pocket or a bigger left cuff for your watch? Customize over 30 different style points to get the exact style you want or select from hundreds of pre-designed shirts. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world. And they only use and they only buy fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting an absolute best quality and craftsmanship. All of their styles come with a perfect fit guarantee. So if it doesn't fit, you can get it remade completely free. They have a great customer service team based in New York City that makes it super easy to get the shirts remade. Proper cloth has been featured in many top publications such as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Esquire, GQ, and Fast Company. GQ even calls them their new favorite online online custom shirt maker proper cloth shirts are completely custom made for you and start at just $80 so you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break your bank go to propercloth.com slash pff today enter gift code pff20 to save $20 off your first shirt all right, Dane, pleasure to have you on. Are you sure you are our second guest on the two for one draft podcast? We had Trevor Sikama from the draft network on earlier, um, earlier in the podcast, but we definitely have you on now. So we're excited to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing well. No, I'm, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. You guys do such a great job, uh, you know, covering all things, uh, you know, both NFL and college. And so, uh, you guys bring such a unique perspective. So I'm eager to talk some, some players with you guys. Absolutely. Before we dive into that, I know Mike was interested. I am as well. And how you got into scouting and how you got into kind of this business. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always been my passion. Um, you know, I always wanted to, uh, be a scout, just do the, the evaluation process. Uh, you know, what made a, a college player, a, a good or great or, so great NFL player that just it fascinated me. Um, and I'm a Northeast Ohio kid. And so when the Browns came back to the league in 99, 
uh, and that 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 draft with Tim Couch and McNabb and Ricky Williams and on and on. That's really drew me in, and I've been fascinated with it ever since. So, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to, um, you know, learn and uh, you know, kind of grow my skill set under a lot of scouts in the league and things like that, and um, been blessed to be able to call this my career. So it's uh, it's a grind, and it's a lot of work, but I'll never complain because uh, I love doing it. That's good to hear, man. I definitely, we have the same opinion. Yeah. You know, draft has been you know, a huge passion project for PFF for a long time, and it's great for Mike and myself to kind of turn it into something we can work for and get better at as we move forward. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into some names now. I want to dive into these early declarations, a couple of interesting ones, um, especially in the receiver class, looking at Isaiah Hodgins. You also have Jalen Rager of TCU, LaVisca Chenault Jr. of Colorado. Give me your overall take on these guys, you know, you know, declaring early and going into the draft. Well, when I finished my mock draft, uh, there were about a handful of players that I just, I hated to leave off. Um, you know, you can only find so many spots. And with these receivers, you're just kind of searching for, okay, you know, like who else needs a receiver? So I'm going to get this guy in there. Uh, and Rager uh, was definitely one of those guys who I just, I couldn't find a spot for him in there. And I hated leaving him off. And he's only 5'10". Uh, you know, the ball skills are okay. They're not great. And I think that's kind of how I justify putting him, putting some of these other receivers in there ahead of him. But, well, I mean, he's going to run the four threes. He's explosive with the ball in his hand. I just know I want him on my football team. Um, plus, he has the NFL bloodline. And talking to people close to the TCU program, they say he's, he's a business. He has the competitive juices that kind of required for the next level. So, I, you know, he didn't have that great junior year. Uh, part of that was the offense and talent around him. But, you know, I, it just at the very worst, it means that a team could end up getting a steal um, in the second round. Uh, Chenault. He did make it into my mock draft uh, in the summer when I studied his uh, sophomore tape. He was actually my wide receiver number one. I, I loved his tape over the summer, and I still do. But in a draft class with so much wide receiver talent at the top, we're really going to have to split hairs uh, with how we divide these guys up. And durability and speed concerns, that could be the difference between Chenault being the second receiver drafted or the fifth receiver drafted. So, I'm definitely a Chenault fan, 6'2", 225, so strong, love his acceleration, uh, his instincts with the ball in his hand, among the best that I think I've scouted at the receiver position in the last few years. So if he ends up falling out of the top 25 because of the durability questions or you know, maybe he runs a 4 5 fives and a 40-yard dash, some teams going to end up getting a steal. I, he went maybe 26 to Buffalo uh, in my mock. And then the other other receiver you mentioned, Isaiah Hodgins, I, he's not on the same level as those other two guys for me. Uh, tall, uh, long, lean. You watch his tape, you see a lot of slants, posts, comebacks, a lot of routes requiring one movement, which really fits him because he doesn't have great speed or short area burst. But I do really like his hands, his catch radius. Uh, it's not sure the dynamic traits are there for me to view him as a, you know, a top three or four round prospect, but I don't blame him for declaring. Uh, he's so productive this year, 86 catches, 13 touchdowns, plus quarterbacks a senior. So 
Uh, you know, he's just he's a talented, draftable player. Probably somewhere on day three for me. So with this ridiculously loaded wide receiver class, where do you see it kind of in the history of wide receiver classes? Is this better than 14? You know, the one with uh, Odell, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins, Devontae Adams, uh, Allen Robinson. Is it is it a better class if, you know, all these juniors declare in your eyes? You can certainly make that argument. And the, the fascinating part is we might not even see any of these receivers go top 10. Um, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, you know, I think we're going to see a lot of offensive tackles in the top 10, um, some quarterbacks, obviously Chase Young, Derek Brown could get in there, Epinesta, Okuda. So we might not even see any of these receivers in the top 10 picks, but between picks 20 and, you know, 100 and on, we're just going to have so many wideouts drafted. Um, and, you know, I think it is, it is tough to compare it to 2014 because in hindsight, that 2014 class, I think it's something like six of the top eight highest paid receivers right now in the league came out of that 2014 class. So not only was it a great class at the time and as prospects, but a lot of those guys have lived up to it uh, with how they play in the NFL, um, you know, the contracts kind of bearing that out. So uh, this this is the chance to be an historic class, no question. But again, I, I don't think we have that AJ Green, Julio Jones, you know, the, the clear cut, no brainer top ten pick. We just have more uh, more volume of quality guys that can step into an NFL offense to be productive. I want to go back to what you said about the offensive tackle class, because Mike and I both think it's going to be a fantastic offensive tackle class. And looking at your latest mock draft, you have Jedrick Wills Jr., the Alabama offensive tackle, going number three, offensive tackle, first offensive tackle off the board to the Washington Redskins. And I think that's awesome. You've got big Jedrick Wills fans in the room right now. But what I also noticed, no Alex Leatherwood. Those two Alabama offensive tackles kind of on different different worlds for you. I want your I'm interested in your take on Wills and Leatherwood. Yeah, I, I think I surprised uh, some people with Wills and my thought tackle uh, off the board and, and being a top three pick, but uh, he's the best offensive tackle that personally I have scouted so far in this draft class, plain and simple. And I, I think that I think there will be some teams who end up agreeing with me uh, if Wills does end up declaring. I mean, there's just there's not much that you that you can't like with him. He's got that wide, flexible base, and pass protection. He's explosive through his hips, uh, tragic balance. He's never on the ground. Uh, we know he's a mauler in the run game. Uh, just really explosive with what he does, uh, clearing holes and uh, you know helping out on the edges. Uh, there are some technical aspects of his game that I think need improved. Uh, you know, it's can he play on the left side? That's something that you know we'd have to answer through. Uh, you know, workouts and things like that. But I'm betting on his skills and that upside to be the best of the group. And, you know, I, I really do like Leatherwood. I think he was maybe number 25 overall on my top 100 board that I came out with last month. Um, but I think he struggled some in the second half this year. Uh, that has me a little bit concerned. He's, he's a little stiff in his lower body, uh, and he can compensate for that pretty well for most of the game. Uh, but there are just a handful of times when I'm watching and I'm thinking how, Okay, an NFL pass rusher is going to be able to expose that. And so I do really like Leatherwood, and I almost included him in my first-round mock. He just, again, he was one of those five or six guys that I didn't have a spot for, and I hated leaving him off, but just how it worked out. So I do have some concerns, but, you know, and I know some NFL teams, 
They actually like him better inside a guard where we saw him last year. But I think he's had a good year at left tackle. I, I think he has certainly made a case to be a first-round player. So in your mock and my mock, my latest mock that draft Monday, we agreed on five different picks. Obviously, the top two, I think everyone's going to agree on with Joe Burrow, Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be set in stone for the rest. But we also agreed on Tristan Wirfs to the Arizona Cardinals, Javon Kinlaw to the Carolina Panthers, and then the one I want to talk about, number 22 overall, Josh Jones, the Houston tackle, to the Miami Dolphins. Talk to me about nice. what you've seen from him, because I know he was not high on your board. Uh, he wasn't high on your board heading into the season, but what you've seen from him to put him that highly now in the first round. Yeah, and I think that when you dive more into his background and uh, kind of where he's come, I, I think that really explains the, the maturation that he showed. He's five different offensive line coaches at Houston over his tenure, which is just ridiculous. Yeah, that is. Three different, three different offenses. I mean, he's that's really stunted his development, and I think that really – is because when I watched him over the summer, um, you know, I saw a good player, but a guy that had anchor issues, uh, needed to stay off the ground. But this year, he's doing a much better job of that. He just looks like a more mature player. And so the more I've watched him this year, the more I've kind of appreciated him uh, for what he offers. I, there's some Andre Dillard to his game. Uh, and I, I think that it, he's going to show that in Mobile uh, at the Senior Bowl. So, you know, he's light on his feet. Um, you know, the tape after tape after tape and I don't I don't know if he's faced any you know elite pass rushers this year but you know the tapes that I have watched uh, Tulane SMU Washington State uh, you know he gets proper depth he's well timed with his punch uh, he's flexible with his movements uh, I think he has a body control where he can handle space he can climb to the second level I do worry a little bit about just the growth potential uh, you know if he I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that's heavier than, say, 305, around that. I do think there are some body type restrictions, so you have to be okay with that. But I do think that he has put himself uh, in the first-round mix if he performs like I think we both uh, think he can at the Senior Bowl and throughout the process. Absolutely. Let's let's move forward to uh, I, I noticed you wrote a player profile on Alex Highsmith, had an opportunity to interview him. And he's a guy that when you look at you know, in PFF system, he grades very, very well against bad competition. Not necessarily, you know, I guess not the best of competition, but he still grades really well. A very good pass rusher this year. He's a guy that Mike, I know, has mentioned a handful of times as a player to watch. What is your take on him and how do you see him fitting into this class? Yeah, and my favorite part of scouting and doing this job is discovering the journeys of all these guys. You know, I talk about uh, with Josh Jones and having to play in so many different schemes, the five different offensive line coaches, and how you know that that's part of his journey to today. And you know what, uh, when you, you know, that's context that's required. And with Alex Highsmith, uh, you know, he's just one of those guys that's a late bloomer. Uh, he was he. he when I talked to him, he called himself short and chubby in high school. He was a middle linebacker. Uh, he didn't have many college options until Charlotte gave him a walk-on opportunity. And even at Charlotte, he was kind of slow to, to work his way onto the field. He played that that four-eye uh, position uh, in their scheme as a junior last year, uh, the inside shade of tackle. And, and he was productive, but he wasn't asked to simply rush the passer. And that changed this year with the new coaching staff coming in. Uh, they moved him outside. They developed his rush moves. And to his credit, uh, you can see how far he worked on the technical aspects of the position, using his hands, 
uh, introducing a spin move and setting up the different ways that he could beat you. So I, I think that's translated into production. He told me that he wrote down the number 12 on a whiteboard in his apartment. That was his goal for his staff total this year. He just hit 14 last weekend. He's second in the FBS in staff. So a um, big Alec Highsmith fan. You know, I, I, he, they, you know, Charlotte doesn't face top tier, um, you know, offensive lines on a consistent basis. But against Clemson, you know, Dabo Sweeney called him the best player that they had gone against um, up to that point. Uh, the Carmen, the left tackle, uh, who's, you know, one of the better sophomore tackles, uh, you know, we'll be talking about him at this point next year uh, as being uh, one of the more talented draftable guys. He called him the best player uh, that he ever went against, and he started playing football. So uh, some high praise from Clemson. Uh, the coaches speak really high about him, and, and Alex it just he comes off as a really great kid, not to mention the skills are there, the production's there. Um, you know, he's, he's, the measurables might not be elite, and that could keep him from uh, maybe being a top two round, maybe even a top three round prospect. But somewhere around three, four, five, a team's going to get a pretty good pass rush. Yeah, he snuck into our latest top hundred because uh, because the latter part was that Clemson game. I mean, he had a seventy nine point zero pass rush grade in that game was like the highest we've ever seen against uh, Carmen or uh, any of those uh, Clemson tackles this year. But I want to get into some of the guys you're high on in this class and some of the guys you're low on. We'll start with high, higher than most. We've touched on Alex Leatherwood. I know you've been banging the Jordan Love uh, drum for a while now. The Utah State QB. Are there any others? And I'd like to hear your thoughts on Love as well in terms of guys you're higher on, you think, than most in this uh, class? Uh, well, I mean, so Jedrick Wills, obviously, I, I think a little bit higher uh, than most on him. Um, you know, Jordan Love, yeah, yeah it, I'm not giving up on Jordan Love. Um, it, it's just, when you talk about context with these players, um, you know, it, 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 it can be tough to separate uh, excuses and reasons we talk about a player like Jordan Love, uh, you know, a new coaching staff coming in, uh, only one returning starter on on offense this year. Um, not a lot of, you know, NFL-level talent around him. You know, are these excuses or are they reasons for his decline in production? Now, you know, and a big part of that, too, is, you know, it, in the LSU game, I mean, perfect example, you know, he had some nice throws in that first quarter, but as soon as they went down, he started to press, and that led to three interceptions. And, you know, it's just the game got away from him. Um, but he's a guy that when you look at the raw tools, it's, it's, it's easy to get excited. Uh, he's a really he's a good-sized athlete. He has a really loose arm. Love his downfield touch. It's just, you know, we have to kind of get into his mind and see where he is mentally uh, with his development. Um, you know, because his decision-making can be up and down on tape. Uh, he's got an interesting decision coming up. I'm, I'm told he's kind of 50 about whether he's going to come out um, for the NFL or if he's going to go back to school. And if he does go back to school, he is a prime candidate to be a grad transfer. Uh, Texas Tech is going to be mentioned quite a bit to maybe rejoin the uh, former coaches that he used to have at Utah State. So, uh, you know, I think that's that's really going to be an interesting wrinkle. I did not include him in this in this uh, mock draft, but, I, you know, it, NFL teams, I think uh, they're not, at least the, team, the guys that I talked to, they're still high on him. They're at least intrigued with him. And I think if Jordan Love, if he goes, because he will graduate in December, so if he does declare, he will be at the Senior Bowl as long as he accepts. If he goes to the Senior Bowl and has a great week, 
I mean, he's right there again, back in the top 20 discussion for a lot of NFL teams um, as, as a prospect. So, you know, there's, there's just, there's a lot right now that we're kind of uh, trying to bridge the gap with Jordan Love. So I, I think we'll be, we'll get a better, more clear picture the further into the process we go. Um, guys that maybe I might be a little bit higher on, I think Austin Jackson at USC, another tackle. Um, Becton at Louisville. Uh, I think six offensive tackles in my, in the first round of my mom. And that, so many teams around the league are looking for tackle help. And this is, this draft class is kind of the remedy to that. Um, with, with the, all the offers of talent, uh, at that position that that's going to be offered. So some of the tackles, I think I might be a little bit higher on the most. Let's go to who you're lower on. Yeah. We'd love to hear, you know, some of the players that maybe you're seeing. Oh, we Twitter. love trashing guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, you see, you see on Twitter that, you know, some, you know, some pundits are high on, but maybe you're just kind of taking a step back from. Julian Aquara from Notre Dame, I I struggle with him. Um, you know, you take out that like what three sack performance against Virginia, and just take the rest of his games, and it's just kind of yeah, you know, it's, it's you see the athleticism. I think that test off the charts at the combine if he's healthy, uh, and that's why he didn't just make it into my draft because he's such a freak athletically, but. The production's not there, and you know Notre Dame they'd off they, they have them dropping quite a bit, and you know not just pinning his ears back and, and rushing, but even when he does rush, you you see more of a athlete than a polished pass rusher at this point. So I, I do have some questions with Aquara uh, that would worry me talking about um, you know a, a first round type of player, and then. Uh, a couple others, uh, Raekwon Davis at Alabama. I mean, I get it. He's he's a mammoth, a mammoth dude, but um, I, you know, I don't see a first-round player. Um, I, I, if I'm going to take a guy like that in the first round, he's got to give me more as a pass rusher. I just don't think he has those instincts to do that. Um, he, he'll make some plays in the run game, but um, you know, not to the point where I, I think he's a first-round player. Uh, and then Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Um, you know, I on Twitter I'll see some people propping him up as maybe a first round guy or, um, you know, maybe even a top 50 guy. And I just, I, I don't see that. I, I, I really struggle with his evaluation because I think the football character is off the charts. I mean, the teams are going to love the kid when they sit down with them and, you know, just talk football and everything. But when you watch the tape, uh, it's just the, the anticipation is not there. You know, the ball too long, he's missing open receivers. Uh, he really will force throws. They'll telegraph throws, and there's just a lot of things there that, that make me back off. Um, and uh, all these quarterbacks, how they do during the process will be a big factor. How Jalen Hurts does at the Senior Bowl will matter quite a bit. And I think if he has a great process, he could end up in that maybe that second or third round. He could convince a team to draft him. But if he shows the same concerns that we see on tape at the Senior Bowl and the Combine, then, you know, he's more of a, you know, third, fourth round type of guy. So I, I, I'm not all aboard the Jalen Hurts family just yet. Let's get into this running back class. You know, looking at your mock, you have Jonathan Taylor going in the first round. You know, we at PFF, Mike, you know, especially loves Travis Etienne of Clemson. Mm, we do. We see him yeah. as kind of the best back in, 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 in the country right now and also in this draft class. And I think Travis Etienne, maybe not getting enough love from others. I would love your take on Jonathan Taylor, obviously, and then also the rest of this running back class. Yeah, well, and with Etienne, I, I think that he – I almost um, – I spoke with the running backs with my mock draft because I just, I ran out of spots to put these guys. Um, and I, even like that, I had one running back going in the first round 
and that was Jonathan Taylor to the Dolphins. And even that felt a little forced. Um, you know, I, it, it's just there's not a lot of the obvious spots for, for running backs in the first round this year. Uh, but we could still see two or three end up there. And I think uh, Etienne and DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor are the kind of prime candidates to go that high. And I, I love Etienne with what he does with his athletic lower half. Um, he's just, I think he's a better athlete than back right now. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, I, I think that that context is kind of required because when you, he has, with any type of space, he has, ridiculous speed. He just, he rarely slows down. He's able to make those sharp cuts at top speed and defenders just have no answer for that. Um, now I do think as, as an inside runner, um, he, he will hit the whole start. He does have the speed and he could go through arm tackles, but he's not the most graceful in tight spaces when it's not hundred percent clean. Um, I think he does need to improve as an inside runner. It uh, doesn't have a great feel for patience and tempo uh, right now. Um, but I think that when you talk about the athleticism and the, this is dangerous ability that he has with the ball in his hand, that's going to be enticing and maybe uh, even enticing enough to get into the first round. So I think that is possible. I think he's improved as a receiver this year. That'll help him as well. Um, J.K. Dobbins is the interesting one for me because he's, He's not overly flashy. He's not, you know, a, a burst guy. He's not an explosive back. But man, he is, his vision is special. Uh, he just he is such a skilled runner at the line of scrimmage, at reading the block, anticipating the holes, having the patience required to allow the blocks to do their job, and then hitting it at the right time. And then once he does get to the second level, he does have some elusive elusiveness to him with his run power, with his quickness. He's just a smart runner. He's a proximity back. He understands when everything's in motion, how he can get the most out of every run. And so I, it wouldn't surprise me if J.K. Dobbins ends up being kind of the the Nick Chubb of this back where he, he's not a first-round guy, goes in the second round, just ends up being a productive player. Uh, he, he has that type of ability. Uh, but like I said, Jonathan Taylor is the only running back that made it uh, in my first-round mock. I think he's – with the concerted effort to get him the ball more – as a receiver, um, to get him more involved in passing situations, uh, that has helped him this year. And uh, there's just, it, he's a total package. I think he'd be a great fit for, uh, Brian Flores in Miami with what he's trying to, trying to build there with that culture. Um, and, and with that, what, what he could do in the, on the, with the ground game as well. I do agree, though, about you saying forcing running backs in the first round with this wide receiver class. I just don't see how you can, you know, in the mid 20s there, take a running back over someone like T. Higgins sitting at, you know, Mm -hmm. someone like Jalen Rager. Like, I just couldn't fathom drafting one of those guys with just the way the league is trending. Right. No, I, I agree 100 percent. And uh, I, I'm, I'm through like the back of round one. And, you know, I, I, I almost gave uh, I thought about giving Etienne or Swift to the Ravens. Just, you know, the you know, you strengthen a strength with what they're doing there. But it's just, you know, I don't know if they would do that just because they don't have mm-hmm. to. They can take a pass rusher or a corner. And then, you know, because there's going to be this is going to be a talented running back group. Uh, you know, you can get a K-Makers on day two of the draft. Um, you know, Anthony McFarland and Najee Harris and the LSU kid, uh, you know, Benjamin. I mean, Chubba Hubbard. There, there's a lot of running backs in this group where, you know, if I miss out on Etienne or Swift or one of these guys in the first round, 
I'm feeling okay uh, because I know I, I think I can get another, another good one and on day two where with receiver, these guys are going to get snatched up pretty quickly. I feel like that. I feel that way a lot about a lot of running back classes too in the draft. You know, even going back mm-hmm. to previous draft classes, you look at the running back position. You could take a guy early. You could take a guy in the top 50, but there's always a couple names on the back end where you feel comfortable um, attacking. Like you said, Chubb Hubbard, etc. This has been fantastic, Dane. We really appreciate you coming on to foreign drafts, walking through your mock draft and all that stuff. We're definitely going to have to connect when we go down to the senior bowl and then um, do some more stuff there. But re- again, we really appreciate you coming on and we'll have to talk again soon. I look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Man, Dane Brugler, absolutely fantastic interview. And I want to say this. His scouting term game is Ooh. through the fucking roof. He's been doing it, like I said, since 99 is when he started getting in the scouting term game. I haven't been doing it that long. Dude. Like, I need I need to build, I need to have, like, a, my own dictionary that I, mm-hmm. you know, the source that I pull from for scouting terms. Athletic lower frame. I was on the edge of my seat waiting for him to say oily hips or something. Mm. I was getting really excited. But again, in addition to the scouting terms, great insight, great analysis. Well, I think Dane, a friend of the pod, we're going to have to get him on again. He puts in the work. Like, mm-hmm. you can tell he puts in the work because he has background info he has watched all these guys and you know give you his exposure to all these guys mm-hmm. what games he's watched and you all like you have to like i respect the people that do that because not to name names they're obviously you can tell when people don't do it yeah, like, yeah. there are there's good analysis and you can tell when there's bad analysis firmly and recommend you guys follow dane brugler on twitter follow him at the athletic it's worth the price of mm-hmm. the subscription a ton of good writers there in addition to dane brugler but again we'll probably have him on uh in the near future connect with him in the, at the senior bowl but moving forward we're going to go ahead and touch on draft specials the two for one draft podcast segment where we talk about some of the best rookie matchups coming up in the nfl it may be championship week but the nfl still going on and rookies are still making plays first one we got to go with carolina's brian burns who's struggled a bit down the late after a hot start going against caleb mcgarry of the atlanta falcons rookie on rookie do love that yeah you always love to see those rookie matchups for caleb mcgarry has not really gone his way this year 11 sacks already allowed uh one of the highest totals in the nfl that's close to on pace for the most we've ever seen i think that was by uh colton miller last year or something like 17 so not uh not going great for him Mm -hmm. i i I don't want to say it, but I didn't think he was like surefire. I can't believe they took him in the first round. Like, Mm -hmm. I was just like, I didn't think he was that. I was fine with taking him late late second that's where we had him something like 60th on our board just like i was floored with him and the lindstrom felt like big reaches for need and obviously they haven't fixed the offensive line the offensive line got decimated it just got murdered by the mm-hmm. saints saints had three defensive linemen on our team of the week last year because that offensive line still so bad so uh brian burns gets you eat you some that it's a very good matchup for him to win definitely let's go forward here um terry mclaurin going against jair alexander really excited for this matchup if you haven't listened to the tuesday edition of the two for one drafts podcast we interviewed terry mclaurin about his matchup with darius slay this is an even better matchup against jair alexander a guy that can go toe-to-toe in man coverage with mclaurin i think mclaurin man after talking to him i'm really impressed with how this guy's attacking the game how he does preparation he knows his strengths he knows his weaknesses and how to beat guys he talked about that slay matchup as a chess match Mm -hmm. he needed to you know win with speed and then come on over unders and stuff i think um mclaurin versus jair this is a huge opportunity for terry mclaurin to kind of cement himself as what i think already is the best rookie receiver this year i mean he's played at a very high level that's high praise and i can't necessarily disagree with it he has been very good with a not very good quarterback situation there with the redskins i hope what i hope the, the Packers, they haven't had Jair Alexander track receiver since week six. Uh, you know, they had that Mark Cooper debacle in week five, week six. All of a sudden, Kevin King gets owned by Kenny Galladay on the other side. They went uh, King on Galladay, Jair on Marvin Jones. Jair locked down Marvin Jones. King did not so much. Gave up over 100 yards in that one. So they kind of scrapped that. 
Haven't done it since, but this game makes a ton of sense to do it. Jerry Alexander is a tailor-made cornerback for Terry McLaurin. Kevin King far more capable of guarding someone like Paul Richardson or even Kelvin Harmon. So I do think, I'm just going to call it right now, call my shot, Jerry Alexander tracks Terry McLaurin. This one's a great matchup. Because, I mean, Jerry Alexander, top 10 cornerback in the NFL right now. If Terry McLaurin gives him a little bit, gives him 100 we're talking about Terry McLaurin that as, is, you know, one of the better, like one of the best rookie seasons in quite some time. I don't think a ton of people are looking forward to watching the Washington Redskins against Green Bay Packers. But I think if you do turn it on, I think there is a little matchup within the game yeah. that, that would be very interesting. Let's go to the Dolphins. The rookie guards this year have not played well. Let's go ahead and say it. They have not played well. And now they're going th- against. They've had more. Bla- they've had more blackout appearances at this point than you have. Every you must not. Be- <laughs> you have this season. I was gonna say, he must not be named at this point. So we, we can't talk about it. We got we talked about it too much much in the beginning of the season True. we can't anymore but that guy's actually turned around but they've had they've had a ton of blackout performances mm-hmm. Deion calhoun made it last week michael Dieters made it a handful of times uh they just got thrust into action a little too early yeah but with quinton williams though yeah very you know very talented alabama he has yes. struggled this year I know. he has not panned out for the new york jets only 13 total pressures on 273 passer snaps the rookie not the rookie wall but the rookie learning curve has been big for him i think he's struggling to take a step forward a lot of that scheme though greg williams is like they're run first there on the interior not attacking whatsoever and at Alabama he had sort of carte blanche to attack a little bit like he they knew he was special talent they said you know if you're in one gap and you think you can like get him in the other and get him in the other like he, they did not necessarily pigeonhole him but Greg Williams what he's known for I mean last year he had Miles Garrett only doing two pass rushing moves to sort of play contain there on the outside similar thing probably this year with Quinn Williams not given that freedom yet at Alabama but that's concerning like you'd like for him to still be you're getting the job done at some point without that freedom. Uh, but I, if, call an excuse if you want to call an excuse. But uh, I do think he's sort of uh, you have to get that caveat in there when you talk about his lack of production this year. It's still his own 21. Like he's still a young ass dude. That's true. He's very young. Uh, let's go to Josh Allen, the edge defender for the Jacksonville Jaguars going against the Los Angeles Chargers and what I think could be a very rough game for the Chargers offensive tackles as it has been kind of all year long. I mean, the Chargers yeah. at left and right tackle have battled injuries and the guys that are replacing them have really, really struggled. I think Josh Allen, this is his game to win. I think he's been mm-hmm. great, uh, good as a pass rusher this year, but I think he can have a really good game here and cap off a rookie season that's been strong. Yeah, Sam Tevy just came back last week for the Chargers, gave up a sack, a couple other hits in that game. Uh, I mean, par for the course for him, but Josh Allen's sort of been quiet down the stretch. Three, four straight games now with pass rushing grades below 60. Uh, does have now 10 sacks in the season. Like the production, the volume is because he's brushed the passer 305 times the volume of of pressures has been there not necessarily the down to down consistency if any game is going to boost your down to down consistency though it's going up against the Chargers. yeah i mean the chargers make you know made the raiders pass rush look like all america i mean all american team there i mean mm-hmm. right now trent scott has allowed 40 total pressures tied for the thir- third most in the nfl and sam tevy has battled injuries but he's still allowed 31 total pressures himself yeah. it's so. not been good i it's, actually it's been bad let's just go call it what it is um <laughs> Let's move. Let's move forward and grab another piece here. JJ Ortega, wide side, going against Corey Ballantyne oh. and DeAndre Baker. I said Ortega. Hit me with Ortega. I had to hit you with the Ortega. I he has just... not had a good start to this year, though. Can we start <laughs> before we talk about the matchup against Ballantyne and DeAndre Baker, two rookies there for the New York Giants. Man, he's JJ making Ortega. me look like a goddamn idiot. Yeah, unfortunately, JJ. really unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had some ugly calls here uh, right out the gate as rookies, but that's why I say don't judge guys. This don't take that mm-hmm. victory lap week one. Uh, and don't uh, don't count a guy out. You're one. Uh, I don't think that he's written off by any means, but he 
if you're going to do it, if you're going to, the light's going to flash on at any point, better fucking happen against the Giants secondary. The yeah. Giants secondary is butt. And they have Corey Ballantyne, two rookies, and Corey Ballantyne uh, and DeAndre Baker in that secondary playing cornerback for them right now that you need to take advantage of. And it's not like Ortega Whiteside has been buried down the depth chart. It's we not like he's back. Joss. I like can't hear Ortega Whiteside. <laughs> and like, it just reminds me, I had a, uh, not a list growing up, but I had a speech impediment. And Uh-oh. I just like that. I didn't what do you that say up, that? Okay, I'm no. so sorry. Like, it gives me PTSD flashbacks. I'm like, jeez. No. Talk about L's and R's, not whatever that would be. Talk about hitting... That's more of a lisp, actually, saying Ortega Whiteside. But... Talk about hitting a nerve. J-Jaw. Jay Jaws, Jay Jaws. Um, with Corey Ballantyne and DeAndre Baker, I mean, he has an opportunity to light him up. I, I think this. I mean, this is a time to step up. Exactly. I think, like um, this is J- Corey Ballantyne a couple weeks ago against the Bears. Mitch mm-hmm. Trubisky. We talked about blackout segment, 188 yards, 12 14 targets. <laughs> now he didn't play as much as past week against the Packers, uh, but I, I do think that him and DeAndre Baker, like. They should be. They sh- they're beatable. They are beatable corners. You should beat them. This be a huge opportunity for Jay Jaws to come out and have a have a good game. Cap off a rookie that's been otherwise a disappointment. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's going to do it for the two for one drafts podcast. Going through those segments there, talking with Dane Brugler. Thanks again. Remember, you can find us on YouTube. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. That's going to do it though. Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts.